You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on Palm Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. This sermon contains references to the recent tragedy at the Covenant School and statistics on other forms of violence that may be uncomfortable for sensitive audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Friends, this morning we continue our series on the Nicene Creed, and our focus is on the words, we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was still a Methodist, I served a small rural church in northeastern Ohio. One of my colleagues was a pastor who served a nearby church and appealing to the practice of the Methodist church that she was a part of, she had an adult male parishioner ask to be immersed. She found a place to do that, and as the day of the baptism drew closer, she got increasingly nervous about getting this much larger man back up out of the water. Failing to take water buoyancy into account, her anxiety finally got the best of her. And when she lowered him into the water, she blurted out, drink ye all of this. (laughs) Baptism may be the most hotly debated and most widely misunderstood sacrament of the church. And it will be all but impossible to talk about everything that is important that arises out of its practice. But with the time we have, I hope that you will appreciate just how important it is. Let's get the most important issue out of the way first, or really the least important. Sprinkle, dunk, or dry clean. There are two things that are essential to any of the sacraments, a physical sign and a spiritual reality. The church insists on both of these because God's creation is his good gift and because that good gift needs to be tied to the transformative work of God's grace. The link between the two is the liturgy of the church. The prayers that God gives us to pray invite God to use water, wine, and bread to save and heal us. Practically speaking, just how much water is involved really makes really very little difference. Yes, there are examples in the New Testament of people being immersed, but if you have ever seen the River Jordan, you know that it isn't all that deep in some places. So the Anglican, Catholic, and Orthodox traditions allow for both sprinkling and immersion. And depending on the priest, you may get a lot 
or a little water. I have even seen Orthodox priests plunge babies completely under the water for a half second in the process of baptizing a child. But baptism isn't a magic trick. So if you get something closer to a dry cleaning in some churches, that doesn't mean you haven't been baptized. A much more contentious issue revolves around the question of when you ought to be baptized. Some of our sisters and brothers in the faith argue that baptism is only an option for adults. They argue that you need to know what you are doing, and only adults, whatever that word might mean, can make that decision. The difficulty with this position is that the early church didn't confine itself to adult baptism. Yes, there are examples of adult baptism, and that's understandable. As a new message about the work of God in the world, the gospel was necessarily addressed to people who were old enough to understand it. But in many cases, the oldest male in the household converted to Christianity, and then everyone along with him, women, children, including infants, and even slaves were baptized right along with that adult male. That was partly because of the customs of the day, of course, but it was also because baptism is not just an individual experience, but a communal one. It was initiation into God's covenant with us in Christ. Baptism then plays the same role in the Christian faith that circumcision played in the ancient Jewish faith. And just as the families and tribes of ancient Israel were initiated into God's covenant through circumcision, so we are initiated into Christ's body through baptism. And in this communal act, parents supported by godparents and the congregation bring their children into the covenant that they have with Jesus. Just how important that communal and covenantal nature of baptism is, is clear from the early artwork of the church. One image portrays people being baptized surrounded by the 12 apostles, and the baptizans are portrayed as Adam and Eve, stressing the renewal of all humanity. An equally contentious question is, are we saved by faith or are we saved by baptism? On the one hand, the answer to that question is, we aren't saved by either one. We are saved by God. It is only because God responds to our faith and only because God is active in the sacrament of baptism that either one makes any difference at all. We don't possess the power to heal ourselves, and baptism is not a magic trick. That said, Paul described faith and baptism as the starting point of the Christian journey because in his mind, the two were not separate from one another. Paul could not imagine a person having faith in Christ who would not want to be baptized. And he couldn't imagine anyone 
but a complete fraud, wanting to be baptized without trusting Christ. So where does baptism fit into our understanding of the spiritual journey? It is, I think, the first step on the journey into Christ. Baptism is a watershed, a turning point, a revolution in our lives and in the life of God's church. But when we celebrate a baptism, we also declare that in Christ, the world faces a fundamental choice. We can seek God's forgiveness and receive his grace, or we can plunge head forward into judgment. The one path leads to healing and restoration. The other is marked by chaos and darkness, much of it our own making. Baptism then is a word and a sign of hope spoken into our lives and into the darkness of the world, but it is also a crisis, a turning point, a call to discernment. We can either face the brokenness and darkness of our own lives and of the world and turn from it, or we can embrace the darkness and let it destroy us. Just because baptism involves babies, water, and families doesn't mean that it is a harmless ceremony. And if you think it is, you have completely missed the point. It is the instrument of God's invading grace and judgment on the darkness of the world and of our own souls. For that reason, baptism is also never far removed from the realities of our lives. It doesn't confine itself to glittering generalities. Of course the liturgy talks about the works of Satan, renouncing evil and turning toward Christ. This is the only kind of language that a timeless rehearsal of God's work in our lives can take. But every generation is obligated to face its own sin and shoulder its own cross. And that is why this ancient creed and the affirmation of baptism speaks to the events of last week, the shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville, and the darkness that led to an unspeakable act of brutality. Let me just suggest a few ways in which baptism does that. First, the sacrament of baptism should save us from naivete. I understand that we all mean a variety of things when we say we are shocked, that this kind of thing shouldn't happen in a civilized country, or that we obviously haven't passed the right laws, or this kind of thing wouldn't happen. But the baptismal rite reminds us that this is nonsense. We are called to renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God in our baptism. To renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. And to renounce all sinful desires that draw us from the love of God. 
We do this because the world is a broken place. It is worthy of our love because God made it. It is worthy of our care because it is filled with people made in the image of God. And it is worthy of gratitude because it is the good gift of God. But it is broken nonetheless, and the baptized understand this. Second, because the baptized know that the world is enthralled to evil, unflinching realism about the human condition is the thing that shapes our worldview. That realism should lend urgency to our mission and courage when it is needed. It common, so, so it's common in some circles to assume that the teaching of Jesus was marked by urgency because he believed that the end of the world was imminent. But the moment that we are confronted by the truth about the state of our own souls and the condition of the world is the moment in which we are already in peril. I am not suggesting that we run around with our hair on fire or that we can do everything that God calls us to do all at once. We are creatures limited by time and flesh. But the indifference of the church in the West is probably the most common and greatest failing that we face. That realism should remind us that our ultimate hope of well-being lies with God and God alone. We are not at liberty to tell ourselves fairy tales or indulge in self-pity. We cannot risk eroding our capacity to confront the darkness of the world by indulging in the fantasy that what happened at the Covenant School was an anomaly or that if we could find the right mix of legislation, we will have addressed the real problem. The violence and despair that fills the heart of someone who attacks a school cannot be addressed fully by human effort. Legislation and other efforts are certainly worthy of our attention. Let us pray that our leaders are able to move beyond rhetoric to real and effective action. But the evil that was at the work in the heart and mind of the shooter preceded the act of murder. And it continues to shape the minds and hearts of untold others. School shootings, too, as tragic as they are, are not the only manifestation of evil in our world. For example, 79,000 people died in 2022 from drug overdoses. There are an estimated 463,000 rapes in any average year in the United States. And in any given year, 400,000 people are cut up in human trafficking in this country alone. Our response as a church will often seem quaint and irrelevant in a world 
that is roiled by this kind of evil and others. But it is only in a world that is out of touch with the implications of evil that litigation and better therapy will appear to be enough even as the mayhem spreads. We continue in our baptism, in the apostles' teaching, in the proclamation of the gospel, serving all people, loving our neighbors, and seeking justice and peace. Let us pray that that is a feature of all of Christ's people. Amen. The Caring for Covenant Fund has been established by the Community Foundation to manage donations made in response to the tragic events that took place on March 27th. Go to cfmt.org to learn how you can support. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person, or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738, where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you.